Hi, this is Aaron Orlando reporting for the Revelstoke Mountaineer. Um, I'm joined by Wayne Stetsky, who's the NDP candidate for the riding of Kootenai, Columbia. Uh, we're up here in Revelstoke uh, catching up. Uh, he's been in town since yesterday doing some door knocking, and we're uh, here to find out a little bit more about what he's uh, talking with people about. Wayne, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. It's great to be here. So, um, we first introduced uh, you about three months ago when you declared candidacy. We did a quick sort of uh, podcast-style interview. Maybe for uh, more people are paying attention to the election now that it's uh, actually on. Right. If you could do a little, little bit quick intro and, and tell, tell us about yourself and, and what your background is. Sure. So, I've lived in the Kootenays now for 25 years, um, based out of Cranbrook. Most recently, I was mayor of Cranbrook uh, from 2011 to 2014. And while I was mayor, of course, I learned uh, a lot about municipal government, about the issues and about the challenges that uh, we face around infrastructure, around funding, which are common right across Canada, actually. Um, we, need to, we need a different formula in terms of uh, funding municipal infrastructure and other issues that uh, we, we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis uh, in cities across British Columbia and across the riding here, for sure. Previous to that, for two years, I was manager of the East Kootenai Conservation Program, which was uh, involved in private land stewardship and private land conservation. So working with a lot of ranchers, farmers, uh, and probably the number one thing I learned from that two-year period was just how little uh, provincial and federal governments are currently doing to support agriculture uh, across the riding and, and across British Columbia. There's so much more we need to do to make sure that we have food security um, and to make sure that as climate change uh, comes forward that people know what to grow where across the riding so there's lots of room for improvement there and prior to that I was the regional manager with Ministry of Environment for the Kootenays uh, looking after fish and wildlife so all the fishing regulations hunting regulations uh, guide outfitters um, BC Parks was part of that portfolio as well, and mm -hmm. Ecosystems. And the Ecosystems group uh, are the group that would review uh, habitat uh, uh, challenges, uh, expansions of coal mines, things like that. So I was actually involved in signing off some of the first agreements here in Revelstoke uh, between snowmobiling and caribou to try and ensure that both can continue mm -hmm. in a healthy way. Had offices at the time in Cranbrook, Nelson, Revelstoke, and Invermere. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's great actually, from my perspective, to be out and around my old region, which is now, of course, the Kootenay Columbia riding. Mm. Uh, I get to catch up with a lot of old friends, uh, with staff that I used to work mm. with, including here in Revelstoke. And uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's been great to just be out and around the region again. Mm. Um, mm. Previous to that, I was district manager for provincial parks, so mm -hmm. I was up here uh, around Revelstoke, uh, mm -hmm. looking from a provincial park perspective. Um, then I, I heard from, uh, I believe from our first interview, you said you lived in Revelstoke in the early 70s? I lived 70s. in Revelstoke for a while in, in the early 70s, working with national parks. Okay. They, they brought me here to write a script, uh, take photographs and put together what at the time was a state-of-the-art two-projector canned slideshow on the natural and human history of Rev Glacier Parks. Is that is that out there on YouTube somewhere? Uh, you know, I don't know what okay. where it went afterwards. <laughs> but yeah, I lived here and actually, it was right when Micah Dam was being built. Mm -hmm. So the town was uh, very active. Mm 
at the time. So you have a lot of uh, background in government and working for government organizations. Um, um, a lot of people would view that as a positive thing, but on the other side of the coin, people would would uh, would view that. Some people would view that as a negative thing. Um, do, do you are you encountered by people who say, "Hey, you have no private sector experience. Uh, that's a problem for me." Uh, actually, I haven't. No, the uh, generally what people. Uh, I guess realizes that because I've spent as much time as I have uh, looking at what are fundamental values, you know, the reason we live here, of course, is that we have world-class scenery, world-class outdoor recreation, world-class fish and wildlife. Um, so the business aspect of it is important. And of course, when I was mayor of Cranbrook, uh, we worked on uh, how to try and build an economy on a local scale. I worked with the Chamber of Commerce uh, asked them to do a project for me on removing barriers to business mm -hmm. so we could uh, make sure that uh, you know, from a municipal government perspective we were doing whatever we could mm -hmm. to encourage business. So uh, actually having municipal government experience, provincial government mm -hmm. experience, uh, and I've, I have spent my life as a public service so I understand what it is uh, to provide good public service. And that was one of my two priorities when I decided to run. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to make sure that the people in Revelstoke and, and in Kootenai, Columbia get proper representation in Ottawa, a strong voice so that they're getting heard in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. uh, quite frankly, that doesn't happen under the Harper Conservative government uh, where he's, things are so tightly controlled that uh, the members of Parliament under Stephen Harper have become more uh, an advertiser for Stephen Harper's agenda than necessarily representing the uh, constituents or the people that live here. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the major reasons mm -hmm. I decided to run. Mm -hmm. And the second one is because from my perspective, the values that we hold as Canadians uh, have been under attack under the Harper Conservative government, particularly the last four years. I mean, I, I got involved, I literally sat down and wrote myself a letter at the start uh, asking myself why I would want to do this and that was last December when people started to phone me and s to say Wayne you've got to do this and the letter uh, came back and I ended up calling it Missing Canada um, because the things that were happening around the environment uh, first and foremost um, over 2,000 scientists have been fired mm -hmm. uh, the rest have been muzzled to the mm -hmm. point of where even the New York Times did a an editorial and the title of the editorial was Canada muzzles its scientists. Um, climate change, you look around today, it's the smoke is everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we are heating up. There's, you can perhaps debate the sources of climate change, but you mm -hmm. can't de debate the science, the fact that our climate is changing. Mm -hmm. And Canada, uh, on a world scale, the last two years uh, is ranked 58th worst out of 61 countries around the world for lack of initiative by the federal government around climate change. Wayne, I just want to want to back up there yep. for a second to your first point. Um, Kootenai Columbia has been a conservative stronghold since uh, um, the Reform Revolution mm -hmm. uh, yep. started, Jim, and, Jim and Abbott when he ran for reform. Yep. Yeah, and one of the I think, and I talk about this a lot. One of the things that I perceive to be um, uh, a key 
issue for voters federally and provincially here is that they are they are looking for someone to go to Ottawa to represent the riding and that yes. was something that um, reform promised to do with their agenda and when which is why often I feel as part of a, a even provincially and federally sometimes we're we have wild swings because I think part of what a big part of it is that they're looking for someone to represent the riding so my question is, is how will you do that? I mean, you, we talked about uh, uh, climate change just two mm -hmm. seconds ago. Uh, you're from the East Kootenay where coal is, is a, mm -hmm. big, uh, um, a big industry over there. Um, so when you're looking at something like that, for example, yep. uh, commitments to, to reduce greenhouse gases, and you know, as you know, methane and coal is a huge uh, contributor. How, are, are you going to Ottawa with the message that for example, on that particular issue, what what are you, what are you going to take to Ottawa, and how is your voice going to be mm -hmm. different from the party? Maybe as an example, if you can um, highlight one or two uh, policy areas where you have a different perspective than the party position, and how you're going to go about enunciating that. Right. So, good question. Mm -hmm. uh, I think people need to understand that the coal that comes out of the coal mines uh, is metallurgical coal. It's used for steel making. So it, it's from my perspective, it's not the same kind of concern as if it was thermal coal that was then being uh, per, put in and burnt to create electricity. Um, it's high quality coal. Uh, we need steel uh, and therefore uh, I, I don't consider it to be a uh, climate change issue as such. Um, and life is all about balance in the end. Um, you know, if we're going to fix the infrastructure in our cities, which we need to do, and we need to invest more money in that, you need steel to do that. So mm -hmm. it is about balance in the end. Um, in terms of so ha hands off the coal industry. That's your message in Ottawa. Well, you know, we have opportunities each year when you go to a UBCM as a mayor mm -hmm. uh, to attend different kinds of sessions uh, to learn more about it and. I specifically went to the coal session last year, uh, mm. one of the breakfast meetings to learn more about the industry. Um, but yeah, you know, in the end, you need both a sustainable environment and a sustainable economy. Mm. Uh, one of the things that's been happening under the Conservative government has been the focus has been strictly on the economy at the expense of the environment. Seem to believe that you can't have both, and I disagree. When I was regional manager with Ministry of Environment, my ecosystem staff would do the reviews of projects like coal mine expansions, uh, mm -hmm. any new proposals. And so I know that we can have both a sustainable environment and a sustainable economy, but you have to care about the environment. And that's mm -hmm. not happening right now in Ottawa. So mm -hmm. some of the differences I want to make, uh, certainly around the environment, we've, um, under the last uh, four years of Harper Conservative government, um, they have watered down the Species at Risk Act, the Navigable Waters Act that used to protect many of our rivers and lakes and streams. Uh, they've watered down the Environmental Assessment Act to the point of where people don't have any faith anymore that an mm -hmm. appropriate environmental assessment would be done on a, a new mine site or a pipeline. Mm -hmm. So we need to get back uh, the environmental regulations in particular uh, and rebuild the trust that Canadians used to have that we were looking after the environment. Mm -hmm. Healthcare is another big issue that I hear, uh, particularly from seniors. And the the Conservative government, um, traditionally, there's an agreement between the federal government and the provinces. And the federal government will say, uh, I will give you billions of dollars 
if you maintain these principles of universal health care, which is one of the fundamental values that, as a Canadian, uh, you know, I've always been very proud of. So there was a 10-year accord uh, or agreement between the provinces and the federal government. It expired last year. There's been no initiative by the federal government to renew that accord with the provinces. And there's a $36 billion cut in transfer payments proposed as part of this most recent omnibus bill. So the number one concern I hear from seniors uh, when I'm going door to door is about health care and trying to ensure that universal health care will continue as one of our Canadian values. And that's something that I am certainly uh, going to fight for. We need to get health care back on track. Military was yeah. another one. <clears throat> Sorry, just to, yeah, to, to interrupt there, is that is that a costed uh, commitment? Is that is that yeah. something that's out laid out in the platform? And uh... yep, and one of the things it's it's uh, you know we're into the third week of August now, and uh, within about two weeks, uh, the parties will be should be presenting their platform totally costed out, so that mm -hmm. people can see what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But we as a party have already made a commitment that we're going to stop that $36 billion cut in transfer payments mm -hmm. uh, to the provinces mm -hmm. because we need to maintain universal health care mm -hmm. in Canada. Mm -hmm. Just to get back to the previous question, yeah. um, um, can you name another way in which you feel that what you're going to represent um, for this riding is going to be different from the party platform and how? what is it and how are you going to go about communicating that in Ottawa? Sure. So as you know, it was right here in, in Revelstoke when our current member of parliament made the statement that one MP will not make a difference in Canada, or in parliament, sorry. Mm -hmm. That was a quote that was picked up nationally. Maclean's magazine did an article on it. Uh, Globe and Mail did an article on it. Uh, in essence, uh, I fundamentally disagree with that statement. I think one member of parliament can and must make a difference in Ottawa. And so first and foremost, that's what I intend to do. I intend to represent the interests and the values of the people that live in Revelstoke and in Kootenai, Columbia, in Ottawa, rather than the position that uh, I think virtually all conservative members of parliament have been forced into under Stephen Harper, and that's becoming in essence just a voice for the prime minister. That is not the role of members of parliament. Uh, it's, it's, there's a, uh, some of that involved in the process, but fundamentally we need to be there to represent the people in our constituents otherwise what's the point of having a member of parliament mm -hmm. you spoke a little bit about uh, municipal infrastructure commitments um, has your party laid out um, solid platform pieces on uh, creating long-term uh, um, predictable uh, funding for municipalities? Well, the, we certainly as a party have made a commitment that we need to uh, provide a different infrastructure plan. Uh, the details have not been presented yet. Mm. One of the things you learn when you're a mayor, uh, whether it's in Revelstoke here or, or in Cranbrook as I was, is that uh, for every dollar that you and I pay in taxes every day, currently 50 cents goes to the federal government 42 cents goes to the provincial government and eight cents goes to municipalities. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the really important things that affect your day-to-day -day life and my day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. a lot of that comes out of municipal government. Mm -hmm. And so we need to, in my view, do two things. Uh, and this is when I'm, when I'm dreaming big, and I admit it's dreaming big. Mm -hmm. 
But I think we need to have a fundamental discussion um, across Canada in terms of redefining and clarifying the role of the federal government, the role of the provincial government, and the role of municipal government in terms of what kinds of services we're going to deliver to the people that live in you know, across Canada and here in the riding. And then look at what kind of funding is required to do that. So it's a fundamental relook at government, because the other thing you see when you sit in municipality as a mayor or a councillor is the downloading that happens constantly, where the federal government or the provincial government has stopped funding something that is really important to the people that live in your community. And so you're sitting there as a mayor or a councillor, thinking this is important, but the federal government or the provincial government have stopped funding it, should we be picking it up with our eight cent dollars or not? Mm -hmm. uh, and you care about your people that live in your community and so you want to do something to make sure that you know, if it's an important service that it continues, but you're constantly trying to decide whether that's something that you should be doing or can be doing with your eight cent dollars when you live in a municipality. So I think we need to fundamentally redefine who's gonna do what to stop this downloading and then look at uh, a funding mechanism that allows the services to be provided to the people by whichever level of government should be providing it. Mm -hmm. Another local infrastructure uh, or community, community level, municipal level issue is affordable housing. Revelstoke mm -hmm. came to the um, ski resort game uh, in, in a big way much later than a lot of communities in the east yeah. um, of the riding did. Um, and each year there's a struggle, this starting right about now, this time of year, where people come here for the season. We had some really critical times last year with um, availability, uh, rents are up. Um, um, the community has um, put together several projects and has one on the go up by the ambulance station there for a 12-unit affordable housing thing. More have been put in. I, I don't know if you've seen the ones down by Kovach Park, which was about three or four years ago, mm -hmm. uh, which is an assisted living facility. But it's it's uh, it's a grind, you know, yeah. uh, trying to yeah. to get these projects together. And uh, and in the end, there are a few units here, or a dozen units there. It's it's you know it's it's a small part of the thing. Uh, small part of the solution. What uh, commitments is the NDP putting forward? And I guess speaking of your background as a mayor, what would mm -hmm. you like to see in terms of uh, helping with affordable housing, rental, and rental housing is is an important part of that. There's right. a lot less rental housing being built. Well, and again, the the NDP's platform is that we need a, to go back to having a national housing strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, the details of that would have to be worked out through uh, discussions with. Uh, you know, with communities in terms of what's the best way to do that now. Uh, but absolutely, there's a commitment to put a national housing strategy in place with the provinces. And again, it comes back to that fundamental responsibility of who should be looking after what. You know, if you're living in Vancouver, Vancouver has taken a fairly active role in funding affordable mm -hmm. housing. But their tax, uh, you know, the taxes they bring in are millions and millions of dollars. Whereas in smaller communities, uh, and I'll just use Cranbrook as an example. Uh, every about $215,000 of new money that you want to get to help in your community in, in whatever way it is, is a 1% increase in property taxes. Mm -hmm. So if you need a million dollars, potentially, uh, you know, that could be a 4 to 5% increase in property taxes, which isn't very popular. So mm -hmm. that's, that's why the current structure is not sustainable mm -hmm. in, in the end. Uh, so we need a national housing strategy. Mm-hmm. Okay.
Um, the NDP is polling fairly well in BC right now mm -hmm. um, and uh, accounting for, uh, I guess, on a national level, quite a few uh, um, a few points in, in the raise in the party, which is currently leading, according to the, the NDP is leading, according to the latest polls. Yep. Um, some of the issues that have been in debt, well, one of the bigger ones is pipelines has, mm -hmm. has, has been a big issue. Um, although, correct me if I'm wrong, there's no plans for any pipeline through this riding, um, what is your position coming from uh, an East Kootenai community that's, that tends to be, or can be, sort of Calgary-centric with a lot of people coming over there? So what the party has said is that uh, they've said no to Northern Gateway mm -hmm. uh, outright. In terms of other pipelines, Kinder Morgan or the Eastern uh, mm -hmm. Pipeline, um, the concern is that with the currently watered down environmental assessment process, mm -hmm. we don't really support any pipelines under that process because we don't have faith that the environment would actually be protected mm -hmm. under the current uh, laws and regulations in place. But what the party has said that uh, assuming we can get up, which we intend to do, an appropriate environmental assessment process again, that these, uh, the other two pipelines, so Kinder Morgan and the Eastern Pipeline, should be run through the environmental assessment processes and then make a decision based on the facts at the end of it, with community input as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not a no to pipelines in general, other than Northern Gateway Pipeline, uh, but they have to be done with appropriate environmental assessments done before a final decision gets made on them. Mm -hmm. So uh, let, let me try and extend that to yep. its logical um, conclusion, um, assuming the NDP get elected mm -hmm. and, and you get uh, uh, bang up environmental um, processes in place, uh, therefore pipelines should be safe. So the answer is yes to um, um, the Keystone and pipelines to the east. Is, is that not, well, not where it's leading? Well, the priority would be uh, pipeline to the east seems to be a preferred option potentially. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and it was interesting to watch the debate and, and watch uh, Elizabeth May sort of pressing Thomas Mulcair on that question during the debate. I, I didn't watch the debate, but that was uh, one of the uh, moments that was talked about a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So she was really pushing on him to just take a position. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, no to all pipelines. Uh, and, and I appreciate it. I mean, having been, the, again, the regional manager uh, for Ministry of Environment, uh, whose staff, one of their roles was to review projects. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated uh, Tom's approach, which was, uh, you know, we need to take a balanced approach to economy and the environment. Uh, mm -hmm. We will not approve a project that uh, would damage the environment irrevocably. Um, but we need to give the process an opportunity to tell us what's right uh, mm -hmm. and what's wrong. So mm -hmm. uh, there may be no pipelines, expansions mm -hmm. in the end, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, I appreciated the approach of, was again, uh, a balanced approach to an, you know, a sustainable economy and a sustainable environment. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I really believe strongly, and the party does as well, that we need to start the transition to renewable energy, green energy. Uh, one of the, I think, really fundamental errors that uh, have been made recently in the economy under the Harper Conservatives, uh, I use the example of a monoculture. Right? Mm -hmm. If you're 
in agriculture uh, or even forestry, uh, you know the risks of a, of a monoculture approach to crops. We have had, in my view, a monoculture approach to the economy under the Harper Conservatives, which is that oil and gas is where we're going to build our economy in Canada. So non-renewable energy, that is a mistake. It's a mistake from an economic perspective. It's also a mistake from an environmental perspective. So we need to start that transition to green energy, renewable energy, partly because when you look at things like solar or wind or geothermal uh, or uh, you know burning garbage even, uh, that keeps the jobs in our communities. Right now, if you want a you know, supposedly higher paying job, and they are higher paying jobs, you go to Alberta or you go to northeastern BC. So it, and it's very hard on families. Uh, we, know, we probably all know people that make that uh, you know, bi-weekly trip up north. So if you move to green energy, renewable energy, the jobs are created right in our communities. Uh, in Germany, like the, the other thing you'll hear people say is that, well, if we don't have an oil and gas economy, uh, we're, we're going to lose jobs. In Germany now uh, produces about 30% of their energy is now green renewable energy and it created hundreds of thousands of new jobs. So we have actual examples of uh, how you can have both. Mm. So we need to start that transition. We need to get away from pipelines as being uh, you know, a key economic driver for mm -hmm. Canada. Mm -hmm. um, typically the, the issue with various sources of green energy is you know, economic viability. It's, mm -hmm. Does it what's the payoff uh am i going to install solar panels here does yep. it does it work um and and the answer uh i guess what you're saying from a government's uh, perspective is to to subsidize that to invest in in the sector is that a firm is there a number of them put out there about and about how much you're going to fund it and how are you going to fund, the, fund no, that no there's no number out there but mm -hmm. there is a commitment that uh, research and development dollars will be put into green renewable energy sources Mm -hmm. under an NDP government. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, the costing on all these things for all the parties uh, is, not, is currently being done. Uh, and hopefully within about two weeks or so, I think we, we should be able to see the various parties' platforms uh, fully costed so people can understand what a little cost and how the money's going to be generated to get there. Do you, do you pay attention to the polls a lot? You know, not a lot, but I certainly pay attention. Yeah. Um, I was speaking uh, very briefly on Twitter on the weekend with, um, um, oh my gosh, Eric Grenier. He does 308.com. And yep. according to um, that uh, sort of statistics-heavy um, aggregator of various polls and, and numbers, um, you are leading in this riding, mm -hmm. uh, according to them. Is that something you're aware of? Yes. Yeah. Um, um, do you, so you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't pay attention to the polls and put a lot of faith into that, so you just you I, discount that one. What do you no, think? That's, that's a no. surprise to someone who's observed uh, here. I know we've had redistribution. We picked up uh, Nelson in this riding, yeah, as Nelson, well as Caslo yeah. Salmo. Yeah. Nacusp uh, is, is out, uh, and, and yeah. some of the area around there. Um, when you see those numbers, what do you think? So, I mean, I'm very happy that the polls are saying that if an election was held, you know, early August, that mm -hmm. I would likely be the, the member of parliament. But all those polls tell me is that we have to work really hard for two more months 
Mm. Uh, you know, politics is a very strange business, as you know. Mm. Uh, and what happens in polls uh, doesn't always bear itself out on election day. Mm -hmm. So the message I got is I, I really appreciate the fact that the polls are pointing in my direction, but all it tells me is that I have to work really hard and knock on hundreds and hundreds of more doors between now mm -hmm. and October 19th. Mm -hmm. um, nationally, though, I think one of the more, imp well, equally important at least figures is there was a recent uh, survey or poll and it says that, this was last week, and it says that 70% of Canadians believe it's time for a change in mm -hmm. Ottawa. So we know there is a general movement for change after 10 years of Stephen Harper's Conservatives. I hear that going door to door. Mm -hmm. uh, the number one thing I hear going door to door is that, well, Stephen Harper's got to go. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing that from, you expect to hear it from NDP supporters, mm -hmm. Liberal supporters, Green supporters. But I've also been hearing that from progressive conservatives who really feel that the progressive part is gone mm -hmm. from their party under Stephen Harper. So it's it's 70% of Canadians now believe it's time for a change. And of course, I want to be part of that change here in Kootenai, Columbia and in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the next question is a professional question, not a personal one, um, but something that I think needs to be addressed, uh, especially for uh, people in the Revelstoke audience listening to this because they might just not have the background. We, mm -hmm. we intend, all of these communities in, in our riding are very far apart. You were mayor yes. um, and you lost in, yes. in November in the election. Um, why did you lose and, and what, uh, what do you carry forward from that experience in your candidacy here? Okay. And, and happy to answer that question actually. Mm -hmm. um, happy for a couple of reasons I guess. One, uh, I actually increased my vote count between mm -hmm. 2011 when I was successful and 2014 when I was not successful. Mm -hmm. So I've kept a, a, a very loyal group of, of thousands of individuals and I've added to them during my time as mayor. Mm -hmm. 2011 there was some vote splitting that went on. Mm -hmm. There was an, another candidate who ran who uh, accumulated a reasonable number of votes mm -hmm. that I guess in the end probably helped me. It detracted from your main uh, competitor in, in yes. that election. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other good news from my perspective is that uh, the local uh, black press run a, uh, it's called, it's a most popular whatever uh, Reader's Choice Awards every year in, in Cranbrook. This is the Daily Townsman? Daily Townsman yeah. and, and the Advertiser. They're both yeah. owned by, by mm -hmm. Black Press. Um, so they run it every year. And so in March of this year, they announced the results uh, for you know the February-March period of 2015 mm -hmm. when I was no longer mayor. And for the third year in a row, I was awarded silver for most popular politician mm -hmm. by the readers writing in. So, you know, the messaging there, I think, is quite positive. Um, mm -hmm. The other part of it, I guess, what was interesting is that I, I ran on a platform that when you're mayor, you should be interested and in caring about every aspect of your community. Uh, so I spent a lot of time certainly, you know, working on the economy, working on improving the streets in Cranbrook, which are in terrible condition. 
Uh, but I also spent a lot of time and energy working with the arts, uh, working with multicultural groups, working with people with disabilities, working mm -hmm. with youth. Uh, youth actually voted me as one of the youth-friendly aspects of Cranbrook on the first ever survey that mm -hmm. they held. Because um, I truly believe that's the role of the mayor, and that's part of this, you know, caring about all aspects of your community. Um, quite frankly, the uh, individual that is now the mayor ran on fixing potholes mm -hmm. and the economy, uh, working on the economy. And that obviously resonated with enough people uh, in Cranbrook that uh, in, in the end uh, I was no longer mayor. Mm -hmm. But for me... Did you, sorry, to, sorry to jump yeah. in there, but yeah. do, do, do you feel that uh, people perceive you as the candidate who didn't fix the pot, or the mayor who didn't fix the potholes and wasn't strong on the economy? Uh, I think from a pothole perspective, they thought we could have fixed more. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's two two approaches, and this is perhaps a little too detailed, but there's two approaches to fixing streets, mm -hmm. right? You can redo the surface, mm -hmm. which is relatively inexpensive, and you get a lot more mileage for your money, mm -hmm. or kilometerage for your money, mm -hmm. uh, by just doing the surface. Mm -hmm. Or you can, when you've got the lid off, you going down and fixing all of the infrastructure underneath, so the sewer and the water and storm mm -hmm. drains. So, the approach that we took as a mayor and council is that, uh, since so much of our infrastructure is so old, and we were getting uh, anywhere between fifty and sixty water main breaks a year, for example, mm -hmm. in Cranbrook from failing old infrastructure, mm -hmm. that we should be doing it all at once. Mm -hmm. That meant that for our $3 million a year, is what, what we had set aside to do roads, mm -hmm. we would get maybe five blocks a, a year uh, out of that $3 million, right? Because mm -hmm. it's about $500,000 to $600,000 per block mm -hmm. to replace everything and then seal the top and then you're done for 40 years or 50 years in terms of what's underneath. And, and the engineers will come and tell you that you, we, as a municipality, you need to um, adhere to current asset management um, yeah. strategies, yeah. Um, which can mean leaving a lot of things to, to get into further state of disrepair, then go in there and do them all at once while mm -hmm. focusing on, for example, repaving roads that aren't in bad shape, but they're arterial roads. So yeah. so it was the engineers that did you in. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, <laughs> I'm joking here. No, yeah. but, but not yeah. entirely. I mean, I agree. I did ask staff at one point. I said, well, because doing more surface politically is a wonderful thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. Because more of your streets get fixed yeah. in terms of the, the amount of uh, meterage uh, that gets fixed. <coughs> Their advice to us at the time was, you know, we need to be doing it all. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so the new mayor and council, uh, there are quite a number of new streets that are now smooth in, in Cranbrook. Mm -hmm. The drop in the price of oil was really helpful as well because mm -hmm. you're getting a lot more for your money this year than, say, a year ago. Mm -hmm. <coughs> which is great. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we're getting potholes fixed in Cranbrook. Mm -hmm. My worry is funding, and the worry, quite frankly, for a number of groups in Cranbrook uh, is funding for the future that the city used to provide towards arts, towards culture, towards uh, social mm -hmm. needs, uh, mm -hmm. which the indications uh, that money is going to be going to fixing potholes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, just a couple of quick uh, hot button uh, uh, questions. Well, maybe one of them. Um, you come from uh, a rural riding where hunting is very, very popular mm -hmm. uh, um, all over, including in the East Kootenay. Um, what, is, what is your position um, or the party's position 
on um, licensing the the whole gun debate, right. and is yours any different from from the federal position? And the answer is no. Our position is the same. Uh, there was a rumor around that the NDP were going to bring back the long gun registry. Hmm. Uh, I am not supportive of that, uh, and I went all the way to Ottawa to find out uh, whether the party, what position the party was taking. Mm-hmm. We are not going to bring back the long gun registry. When I was regional manager responsible for fish and wildlife, uh, we brought in a number of new hunting seasons, uh, the early bow hunting season, Mm -hmm. the junior senior hunting season, uh, the turkey season. We introduced a turkey season and generated millions of dollars in in revenue because people had to go out and buy new shotguns and new ATVs and new clothing to go hunt turkeys. It's amazing Mm -hmm. the impact that it has. So I, I am and was and continue to be a supporter of the lifestyle values that are important to people in this riding. And we're going to continue to make sure that those opportunities are there. All right, I'm just going to ask you one last question. Um, in Kootenai, Columbia, how has the uh, campaign gone locally so far for everyone? Um, I'll express a personal opinion, and, and that is I haven't been electrified yet by mm-hmm. the debate. I know there was a there was a debate about the debates, about where we were going to have the debate and who's going to host them. You you upped the ante to, you st- oh no, you started it. You said you're going to have nine or eight. eight. Yeah. And then and then in, in the campaign's first Spinal Tap moment, uh, the, the Green candidate, Bill Green, said he'd do it up to 11, I think, or 13 mm-hmm. like that. 11, I think. 11, said, there yeah. you go, all the way up to 11. Um, but... I haven't heard a whole lot um, um, on other sort of substantive local debates about local or regional issues. How do you think it's going so far and and what would you like to see happen from here on in? Well, it's been a very interesting process. Uh, You're right. I sent out a challenge initially to have eight debates in sort of the eight largest communities around the riding, including Revelstoke and asked for each of the parties to appoint a representative to meet because uh, coordinating everybody's schedules can be difficult. Uh, you know, debate opportunities come in from different communities. Uh, so having a group together to get it all nailed down was the mm-hmm. initial concept. So the Greens, the of course the NDP and the Liberals all appointed a representative uh, willing to sit down and work out a schedule and the Conservatives and David Wilkes said, nope, we're not going to play. First of all, he said, we're not going to play because uh, he's too busy making announcements about grants, uh, some of which uh, didn't turn out quite as well as you might have hoped, like the one here in Revelstoke. Uh, And that uh, in 2011, he only attended three out of the seven debates and won, so that's obviously a winning strategy, not going to debates, was Mm -hmm. the other thing that that he said, which I, uh, was amazing to me. So then fast forward a few weeks later, he came up with his own proposal. And that was that he'll only do debates Chamber of run by Chambers of Commerce. Because, and the Chamber of Commerce here has said they're, they're yeah. not going to do it this year, yeah. I believe. Is that, is that your yes, latest that's, understanding? that's yeah. my understanding as well. Yeah. So, but, but he said that the Chambers of Commerce were the only groups that basically you could trust to be nonpartisan in their mm. approach to debates. And it, that everybody should have their questions ahead of time so that they can research them, which turns a debate into a speech more than into a a, Mm -hmm. a debate in the end. So those are the criteria. 
So the committee uh, are looking at the proposals that are coming in. There will be debates in communities that are not Chamber of Commerce based. Uh, whether David Wilkes and the Conservatives will decide to show up or not, we have no idea. So we are, the committee is looking at both the debates that are proposed by chambers and the debates that are proposed by other groups around the riding to try and make sure that we do get debates. But some of them may be three-party debates with David Wilkes not showing up. Mm. Uh, I really hope there is a debate in Revelstoke here. This is a very important community. My preference around a style for a debate um, fascinating in Cranbrook because we have the Chamber of Commerce and then you have the Junior Chamber which are very active in Cranbrook. Their approach to a debate which has been very successful in the past is that you invite the public to submit their questions when they come in the door that mm -hmm. evening for the debate. So there might be one or two prepared questions ahead of time for all the candidates mm -hmm. but uh, the questions all go into a basket and whoever is the facilitator, the mediator, then pulls the questions out of the basket and asks the panel the questions so that the mm. public actually get to participate actively in the debate. For me, that's, that's the objective. It's to have the community's concerns and interests debated, and not necessarily a, you know pre-questions uh, that are formulated ahead of time with an answer that uh, you know, will come from Ottawa for some of the parties anyway, uh, in my mind, for the Conservative Party. Uh, we want the public involved actively mm. in the debates. Mm. So hopefully within the next week or two, the three-party committee at least will be announcing which debates they, they plan to go to where. We're still trying to get one, I understand, here in Revelstoke. They're looking for a group that are willing to take on the sponsorship of that debate. But I'd love to come here and have a debate in Revelstoke. And sorry, I, did, I promised the last question, but just yeah. sort of one more add on that. If if um, if you could pivot the um, the debate in this riding, the issues in this mm -hmm. riding, to focus on the issue that you think we should be really focusing on here in Kootenai, Columbia, what would that issue be and what would you be talking about? It, it varies a little by where you are. Like mm -hmm. here in, in Revelstoke and in Golden, uh, the Trans-Canada Highway is, is a major issue that needs to be discussed in terms of uh, you know, twinning the highway and putting more money into completing this section of highway. Um, generally, it, it's things like the environment, uh, it's, it's things like democracy in general, uh, which with omnibus bills and MPs that aren't allowed to speak for their constituents, uh, you know, really is, is an issue in this election. It, it's health care, it's universal child care, which the NDP, uh, of course we have a $15 a day universal child care program uh, put forward. Um, for me, because of my background, uh, number one would probably be the environment uh, mm -hmm. and trying to make sure that we can continue to have both a sustainable environment along with a sustainable economy. Right. Wayne Stetsky is the NDP candidate for the riding of uh, Kootenai, Columbia in the October 19th federal election. Wayne, thanks for joining us here. Thank you, and please, everybody, get out and vote. This is the most important election we've had in Canada in a long time. Thank you. Thank you.